Room 101. It feels like no time's passed at all. Oh my God, I'm just, I'm, I've been barked at. <laughs> Get in line for episode 101. How'd no, you like should... Yotam? <gasps> I loved Yotam. Oh, what a special gosh. treat for us. Do you know how fantastic it is for us? What, what privileged people we are that we talked about him in episode one. Yeah, I know. And then got to have him in person for episode 100. And, but that's actually not anything at all to do with us. It's to do with everybody just being such an amazing fan of that dude. And, you know, like he is, um, he's the poster boy. Uh, and he's the best. It's all, he's also a great example of how um, excellent it is where you meet someone and they are exactly as delightful as you always hoped they would be. I know. Because um, that would have been, frankly, awkward if he'd been a jerk. That could have been <laughs> really awkward. So, yes, let's be grateful for that. Now, I'm dying to know all about stuff that you've read oh, and watched. So the next two episodes of Chat 10, this one's going to be Crab talking about what she read and watched over summer. The one after that's going to be me talking about it and with each other just interjecting a bit but letting the other person drive. So you're in charge. I feel a little nervous about this. I'm sure you'll resume chivying me at some very, very um, proximate point. Um, So I had the greatest uh, reading holiday. Like I just read and read and read and read. And um, I I took hard hard copy books away with me. Because as you know, I went to Singapore and then went to Penang for a little bit. And I was taking heaps of hard copy books because I was leaving them with my sister-in-law when right. I was done with them. And the first thing I did, darling, because I revere you so much, and this is in lieu of a Christmas present because both of us were too busy to find oh, Christmas yeah. presents for each other. Forget about that. Thank I read Christ this, you haven't pulled I read out. the Swans of Fifth Avenue. Ah, oh, no, that's my present to you, telling you about the existence of that no book. Way. How was I'm it? finally doing what you tell me. <laughs> I loved it. It was exactly – it was so full of frippery but also menace that um, I – and, you know, I love Truman Capote and I loved In Cold Blood. It's like the formative true crime book that I've never found um, a match for Just anywhere in the world. Just to remind everyone, crime. The Swans of Fifth Avenue by Melanie Benjamin's book I recommended ages ago to Crab, which is about Truman Capote befriending uh, – Babe Paley. Babe Paley and other New York socialites um, sort of inveigling his way into their world and um, in particularly with the case of Babe Paley winning her confidence. Right. And essentially what the whole book is about is the grotesque miscalculation that Truman makes when he writes about all of these people in a series that he writes for The New Yorker. And he thinks that they'll all find it incredibly fun and he's like basically viciously poking fun at their oddities and exposing some of their secrets and they are all completely horrified and cut him off basically. And it is also a classic social climbing story as well because Truman is – absolutely thrilled to be burrowing into this world of mm. um, incredibly rich, slightly unhappy ladies who all turn out to have their own stories and skeletons in the closet. Anyway, it's one of those sort of tourism books where you just think, you know, this is all based on people who who lived and um, lived their bizarre lives uh, in reality, all of whom are dead now. Um, so it's like a little tourist trip to a very, very strange, sparkly, weird, fake, yeah. sad world. Just yeah. a, a moment sort of in time. Yeah, I'm glad you liked that because it, it, it's a good holiday read too, don't you reckon? Yeah, totally because it's, it's, a, it, it's like a holiday into another place and so wherever you are, it's quite page-turning and, um, and Capote, you think, is, is – 
captured pretty well, I think. And um, his own kind of miserable demise um, is explained pretty well. I think, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I loved it. And I was smiling the whole time because I thought... It's funny with the landscape. It's funny with the landscape of a life, isn't it? How you can only determine the key turning points and moments in hindsight. Yeah. And the black and white ball, which uh, you know was such a massive fixture on the New York social calendar at this time, and it really marked. That was the high point for Truman Capote. It was yeah. all downhill from then. He was yeah. like the sort of bell of the ball, and then that was. That was it. That was the peak and then it was all down. So he's incredibly thrilled about organising this ball and it's going to be the greatest ball ever. And he laboured over the invitation list and pointedly didn't invite some people. And And there's this great moment at the ball where he's scampering around He's um, and he's thrown it for um, what's-her-name from the um, Washington Post, um, Catherine Graham, oh, yeah. because he, he couldn't. Um, make the key guest any of his sparkling New York friends because they'd all be jealous of each other. So he decided to um, throw it for Kay Graham because she's so plain and dowdy. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end, so uh, the ball starts at like 10pm or something. So he's organised all these pre-dinners around the place. And then at 2 or 3am, um, Frank Sinatra, who's there with Mia Farrow and getting cross that she's sort of dancing with other guys. And then he just says, this ball is ridiculous. Like, let's go to a late night piano joint where we can smoke and drink and, you know, sing songs. And so he leaves. But as he's leaving, Capote rushes up to him and says, don't leave because if you leave, then it'll be all over. People will start to leave. And that's exactly what happened. And he's sort of devastated. But anyway, it's, yeah, how right. the other half lives. What else? Uh, right. Um, I read The Arsonist. Yeah. Uh, which Chloe Hoopy's new book. Yes. Yep. yep. Which um, I really, I mean, it, it has the sort of absorbing level of detail that you would expect uh, from Chloe Hooper. It's the story um, of the Victorian bushfires and the guy who um, was charged with um, lighting some of them. Um, and what I really dug about it was what I thought I would when you were talking about it, which is just this really interesting examination of um, – of the economy and um, the environment that an arsonist might grow up in um, and what happens to people who kind of get forget, forgotten a little bit and slip through the cracks and the things that they might turn out to be capable of. Did you agree that um, you couldn't really, as you were reading, ascertain her viewpoint and whether she – like no. she seemed to shift between, yeah. you know, she wasn't – she had some sympathy for the guy but then she also had sympathy for the victims and she never – there wasn't really a point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean it Which was raises good. that question, you know – when somebody creates just unthinkable pain and harm to others but has themselves a very complicated backstory and maybe an inability to really comprehend what they're mm. doing, well, where is the answer then? Like what is mm. what is justice? What does that look like? Because you, there is no place to land that achieves a, justice, a, a just outcome mm. for um, the people who lived through the terrible things that this person brought about, even mm. if, un- well, not unwittingly, but um, unwittingly as to the extent of the effects of their actions. Anyway, it's a great book, really good book. Um, the book like that really grabbed me um, that I read over the holidays was um, by a guy called Kise Lehman. I think his first name is pronounced Kise, K-I-E-S-E. Anyway, he's an American writer and academic and um, – 
It's called Heavy. It's not very old, but and I always think when like not very old people write a memoir, you're like, well, okay, you know, come on, then this better be interesting. Yeah. But what it is is um, it's an account of his childhood. Now he grew up um, his mother he, to a, a single black mother who uh, had split with his dad. He wasn't dead. Um, uh, early on in life, in his life anyway, um, and his mother was um, uh, an academic, also a political commentator, so like successful, hardworking, professional woman who was very, very demanding on him, very conscious of race issues and always drilling into him the way that he needed to be so that he wouldn't be destroyed by a racist society. And um, the other factors at play for the writer are that um, he was also quite overweight and like gained weight found comfort in food and so the whole book is like this struggle between this boy and later a man and his body and his mother is so demanding and really hard on him to the point where she beats him. Um, she punishes him by um, demanding that he write essays on various subjects. and be- like Because he's fat? No, because oh. she wants him to be disciplined. She wants him to be absolutely conscious at all times of the threats that – um, a racist society poses to him. So she wants him to speak properly, to be well-read, to be a powerful writer and thinker, right. um, to be absolutely alert to the way that he interacts with police and so on. Right. And then, of course, he kind of goes on to take risks. And um, anyway, like it's it's an absolutely fascinating account of race but from an atypical angle I suppose mm-hmm. um, and it's very it's very frank like brutally so and over the course of the book um, I mean he, he develops um, an a addiction to exercise and dieting because he, he ends up losing all of this weight mm. but then puts it back on and he's also um, his mother it turns out um, is struggling with a, a gambling addiction, which he also gets involved. It's just like the, the relationship between this boy and then man and his mother is so fascinating and it's about power, it's about instruction, it's about fear, it's about love. Mm. And what you end up with is a really um, powerful, a really pungent evocation of how race kind of um, features in a complicated life, you know, and how these factors aren't necessarily able to be teased out from each other. It's just a great, great, powerful book. And um, the thing that I found after I read I thought about it for ages after I'd finished reading it, and then I went and had a look at his website and he's published a response from his mum there, oh. which is really, really interesting because the mum, you know, he never uses her name in the book. Does so she come out of it badly or? Yeah. Look, right. she does because um, she's full of flaws, but she's also impressive in lots of ways. So I, I don't know. It's just really mixed, I suppose. Right. And so what's her response like? It's it's the most generous response mm. because it's um it's full of love for him and it 
acknowledges her failings as a parent. She tries to explain the family that she comes from and the strength that runs through her family and the significance of the family structures that they have, which he writes about too. And she says, look, you know, some people are better parents with someone else and that is that is me and I should I needed somebody else and I didn't have somebody else and I let and I let things slip that I shouldn't have and I didn't moderate behavior that I should have moderated. And but it's also quite sort of fond and a little bit like she's she talks she addresses, you know, her physical um violence towards him. And she says, And when I beat you, beating being your favorite word, you know it's like this really <laughs> weird sort of code of references. But in all it's this she makes room for him and she acknowledges the story that he's told. Mm. She doesn't agree with all of it, but there's very little anger in it. It's very – anyway, it's amazing. It's a really – to you read say, the two together is really an interesting exercise. Did you say they're American? Yeah. And like urban American or rural? Yes. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. So – um, anyway, look, it's. Um, I just think he's a really interesting writer and I will read other things by him, but this is the first thing I've read by him and um, uh, I found it just, yeah, very gripping. Good. That sounds great. Yeah. I feel like this is totally one-sided. Or no, I'm, just, I'm like, super interested. Right. Oh, just, okay. I'm just taking like a lot um, of mental notes about what okay. I want to read out of this and what okay. you're thinking and stuff. Like, um, I'm t- you'll, be, you'll be doing the same for me shortly, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also did a bit of a dive into um, Meg Wallitzer. Now, she's an American yes. writer. And she, re- she wrote uh, the novel on which the film The Wife, which yes. we've both seen. Okay, here's where I can add because I finally watched that on a flight. Oh, right. uh, yeah, so I've been really looking forward to t- hearing about this and talking to you about this. So, yeah. And okay. that's what sort of tipped me into this Meg Wallitzer kind of spiral. I've seen yeah. her before. And the funny thing was when I watched when I watched The Wife, I was just like halfway through because there is this like massive twist, right, which neither of us will mention. Yeah. Um, there is a detail about the relationship between yeah. this Nobel Prize winning writer Did you think it was wife. such a twist though? I thought it was pretty well Signed flagged. Yeah, you? I thought it was pretty well signed. I, I was expecting it. Were you? Yeah. God, you're brilliant. What can I say? Well, I mean, this may, I mean, I I actually was too, but right. I, not because of any brilliance. And seriously, if I'd just been watching the film, I probably wouldn't have picked it because I'm an idiot. Like I'm bad at picking um, twists. But um, halfway through the film, or actually about a third of the way through, I thought, hang on a minute. This is a quite a familiar story. Turns out I'd read the novel and I'd just <laughs> forgotten that I'd read the novel. <laughs> oh, because that's what I wanted to ask and you I'd, because having – I'll talk about it in, in a sec, but I really enjoyed the film yeah. and it did make me think, should I read the novel now having read the film? Because I thought the oh, film – Oh, yeah, you should. Should I? Okay. Yeah, you totally right. should. Okay. So um, the film is about um, – uh, a writer who, who, an American writer who wins the Nobel Prize, amazing celebrations. His wife, Glenn Close, is, um, you know, thrilled, obviously. The two of them have been this. Together um, for 50 years. Yeah, yeah. a couple for, for many, many years. And so nominally the film is about their trip to accept the Nobel Prize for literature and, you know, all of the associated events. And it goes through their previous relationship through flashbacks and so on. And, um, and the the woman who uh, plays the younger Glenn Close yep. is in fact Glenn Close's daughter. Is it? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. wow. Which I did not know until okay. recently. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, but it's a fascinating study of a marriage and the 
things, the allowances you make for each other. Totally. And the, I guess, the weak spots and vulnerabilities that get sort of papered over and then just not talked about. Totally. I thought it was one of the best uh, depictions of what a long-term relationship is like that I've seen on screen, like the sort of complete intermingling of – your love and also your irritation and your contempt for that person and your um, how how yeah. in a long relationship and just the depth to which you know that person yeah. um, and the way that I think you present I guess as a team you know outwardly yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then, also your capability of having an argument just using your eyes <laughs> and, and also the totally and also the ability to um, be having like a fairly ferocious argument and then to just shift instantly to just being back to chatting yeah. normally and, and yeah. all of those kind of um, things uh, I found I just thought it was depicted so incredibly um, well. Even just, you know, there's a scene where they're sort of, I think they're chatting in their hotel room, I forget what about, and then she just says something like, you've got bad breath, have a mint or something like that, like just those sort of throwaway things. And it was also... um, just because he, you know, I'm not giving away any, anything with the plot here, but he's a bit of a womanizer, and that sort of excruciating thing about, you know, for men as they get older, they're womanizing, and how yeah. it sort of becomes just so self-destructive and and just pathetic. I would definitely write. I would definitely read the book, but okay. um, she's got a newish one out called The Female Persuasion. Yeah, which I um, which I read. Which I've is- read. Sorry, the the interestings is the book she's the most famous for. Right, I think. yeah. yeah. Okay. And I read that too over okay. the holidays. And so sorry, I didn't interrupt. So the female persuasion. Yeah, which is fine. I don't like it as much as I like the interestings, which is like a Can just you just remind me what it's about again? Book. I have read it, but I can't remember. Well it's about um a group of kids who meet at a summer camp for kind of creative people. And um so it's kind of like a coming of age story, but then it extends through their their lives. And I kind of I, – I quite like these sorts of sagas that kind of track people through their lives because it's sort of always interesting to see how people's relationships change but then how some things don't change and how, you know, even in a group of friends you make allowances for each other's weaknesses and each other's strengths and sometimes you're surprised because someone that you thought was really – really robust turns out all along mm. to have been different or something mm. happened to them that you didn't know about. And there's a bit of that in this book. It's um, So these characters are all – they're all kind of creative, all a bit ambitious. Um, some of them are a bit damaged um, and um, one of them goes on to be unbelievably famous and successful and wealthy. And that kind of um, tips off some ramifications for other people – um, who, you know, like um, the central character is a girl called Julie who over the course of this camp gets the nickname Jules, which she then hangs on to because it's much cooler. And she's always looking at these other um, kids who all like grew up in New York and she's from sort of New Jersey or somewhere. And um, and she's sort of a bit jealous of them and she kind of has a kind of a really close um, connection to Ethan, who's the one who goes on to be an incredibly famous cartoonist and filmmaker and mm-hmm. um, very influential in Hollywood. And so in a way, it's the story is centrally about their love for each other, but their her resentment at his success um, and what happens to their other friends as well. It's just – it's a really great um, – 
evocation as well. I think this is one of Meg Wallace's great strong points is um, her ability to depict sort of insecurity and anxiety and this idea of trying to project something that you're not, you know. And um, I really – I just found it a really gripping book, um, beautifully written and – a story that just kept on giving. Also a good holiday read, actually. Oh, yeah, from totally. memory, yeah. like just keeps you sort of chugging along. Mm. <laughs> Come on, keep it chugging and along. And The Female Persuasion is about, um, yeah. uh, which which I did also quite enjoy, though not as much as um, The Interestings, which I think is like a great book. Okay. And um, The Female Persuasion is about um, a young woman who falls in with this sort of charismatic feminist um who's like she's um she's like Gloria Steinem basically she's sort of like a glamorous feminist feminist figure and um this young woman gets completely um swept off her feet by this oh, that's a good woman. premise for a yeah um book. and she's a very shy girl but she kind of really falls in love with this older woman and that has ramifications for the girl's relationship with her boyfriend. And again, it's about two people who sort of start off at the same point and then one of them becomes very right. well-known and successful and then the other one kind of has all these complications. And, yeah, so it's, it's again, a bit of a lifespan-y one and, the, and looking at different paths that people take. The thing, um, just going back to the interestings, actually, that it, it sort of actually reminded me a little bit of – you remember what was that book that um, uh, um, A Little Life – Oh, yeah. You know, that one that you yeah, wouldn't, that I wouldn't read. read. Which, the interesting reminded you of that. Yeah, only right. in the sense that um, it's this sort of group of friends evolving in different right. directions. But, I mean, obviously A Little Life was so incredibly confrontingly full of trauma. Right. Um, which is not true of the interestings um, with one or two sort of minor exceptions. Um, so I reckon, yeah, it's, it's sort of remi- elements of it reminded me of that book but – without the kind right. of associated trauma that I found um, pretty wearing by the end of um, A Little Life, I've got to say. Um, are you sick of hearing me talking about things? No, you got, you got eight you got eight minutes oh, to go. Eight minutes. <laughs> okay, I finally saw A Star is Born. Oh, what did you think? I loved it. Yeah? Yeah. I was, what struck um, you? Oh, I just, you know, um, I mean, I was uh, absolutely – across the fact that Lady Gaga is a great singer. But oh, wow. Yeah. I know. Bradley Cooper. Did you really remember how I said to you after I watched it, I had to go home and Google some of her video clips because yeah. it just felt like a different person. Yeah. she just without all of her costumes. And- but I think that that is her thing. Like she is a kind of person that you wouldn't necessarily recognise. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. And the thing that I love actually about all of those – all of the the three versions of A Star Is Born that I've seen, um, the thing that I love about them all the most, and they all have sort of strengths and weaknesses, um, is that they've cast the, is that a the woman is really the lead role, yep. and that's the case in this one, and it was the case in the one in the sixties, and it was also the one in the case in the fifties, which is like really unusual for a woman to be absolutely the lead role back then, and also she was cast for her like energy and talent and not just for being Looks. a kind of like a screen siren beauty type person. Um, did- I mean, Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga are all incredibly beautiful, but like they are known for their singing and for their yeah. stage craft. And they're more. not conventionally beautiful. They're not, you know, they're sort of unusual. Looking yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, of the three films, which did you think was the best? Um, hmm. I don't th- – I mean, the 60s one is the weakest, I think. 
the, um, the Barbara I mean, Babs one. is amazing, right. uh, and you could just look at her face all day and her singing. But it, it's it's much more a product of its time. Like there's lots of kind of just ridiculous horse riding scenes and like it's just like it's like can a you, 60s shocker can you imagine how happy i'll be if i ever ring you one day and go guess who i'm interviewing barbara streisand i don't think i don't think you'd survive it i think you would collapse with <laughs> although you survived julie andrews didn't paul you? mccartney yeah was, nothing could be yeah that's harder true. than that yeah. but um but it, yeah. would, it would be a really embarrassing interview because you'd be like and what about that uh, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd, know, you'd know every single like time she's ever been on camera and she'd probably end up just thinking this is a bit full <laughs> on this is a stalker this is little bit full on um yeah so uh oh uh well, no i think the modern one stands up pretty well actually yeah it was i enjoyed it the judy it garland good. one was too long like it's got an intermission hey there's a couple of films that i want to see that are on at the moment that i'll just check if you've seen mm. have you seen been to vice no but i really want oh, to should we so, try and go yeah i'd really like to it's just finding a bloody spot in the diary yeah. um and the one about i forget what it's called it's about ruth bader ginsburg oh well there was a documentary called rbg which i oh. thought so that's two films about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh. I think this is just called Ruth. It's not something like that. No. It's called In the Name of Love or oh, in the, it's right. something like it's it a four-word just, just title. Just yeah, call it what it, yeah I really want to see it. And uh, the Mary Poppins films got good word of mouth. Yeah, I saw it. Oh, you didn't like that much? Well, Emily Blunt I thought was really good in it. Right. But I, I don't know. Like it just made me want to see the original again. I just thought the music was not. Right. Yeah. Um, you wanted Julie Andrews. Yeah, although Dick Van Dyke makes a cameo in it, which is pretty oh, great. Which is a pretty he? great moment. Oh, just, but Julie doesn't. No, she oh. doesn't. And like, I don't know. I just like, I. The favorite. I, look, I, I love well. the idea for it, which is that the children, Michael and Jane from the original, have grown up, right? And um, and the performances of the children are great. So like. Right. It's, everybody's a good actor in it. But the thing is, and I mean, this is an unusual thing for me to say because I don't normally um, – the music is just not as strong as in the original, I think. Right, so, right. Um, I never – like I couldn't remember and whistle any of the songs from it. Hey, speaking of great performances um, with kids, just sorry quickly, I went to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on <gasps> no, stage. What? Yes, Did you go to Melbourne? It's in Sydney. It's in Sydney at the oh, moment. Oh, right, okay. Um, it's just absolutely fantastic. It's such a great story and they've done a really good job of realising it. How would you do stage. that on stage, though? I just I don't want to even spoil by explaining it, but it's just inventive and creative and great and the songs are fantastic and I just loved it and my seven-year-old absolutely loved it. And In fact, I think I'm going to buy some tickets to go and take the little one to the matinee as well because I think oh, he'll really? really like it. It was really fun. Oh, great. Yes, okay. it was good. Maybe I need to get onto that one. Um, Did you binge watch any TV? Uh, I watched all of Killing Eve, guys. Yeah, now people keep telling me to watch it. Should I watch it? Yeah. Okay. Look, it's OTT. What, so, what's it about? Um, so um, Sandra O oh is yeah. – she works for, um, you know, she's like works for the FBI or something. I can't even remember the organisation. But um, they become conscious, conscious of this um, – female serial killer right? who's operating. And um, I can't remember the name of the actress who plays the serial killer. She's a British actress, but in the film she's – in the series she's um, Russian. Is it set in America? Um, it's set all over the place. Oh, so okay. bits of it in America and bits of it in Russia uh-huh. um, and various other – and bits of it in Paris. Right. So basically they work out that she's this sort of um, gun-for-hire um, female serial killer who is um, responsible for all of these kind of bizarre crimes. And Sandra O oh eventually becomes um, sort of seconded onto this um, intelligence team trying to track her. And the main relationship of the 
of the series is this sort of psychological relationship that develops between Sandra Oh and the killer. Oh. And so... Bit Silence of the Lambs like. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And I guess the interest... And so there's bits of it that are just sort of not plausible or you sort of think, oh, my God, you know, what? Um, But somehow it gets away with it, you know, this sort of um, electricity between them actually makes it work and also the fact that like there's two women doing these roles and it's quite charged you know almost sexually so at various points and Sandra O's character is you know she's kind of really earthy sometimes goofy really really stubborn Mm. really smart um she's a really likable character and great that sounds um, good her partner you know she becomes deeper and deeper into this sort of investigation and her relationship suffers their relationship is quite interesting too so yeah I really liked it is it on Netflix or how did you watch that I think it's on Netflix yeah I can't remember because I have um, a personal valet at home Jeremy who like rigs up these things (laughs) I I think the ABC actually aired Killing Eve yes that's right yeah because it's on iView I think oh maybe it's iView I think it's on iView because of course it is yeah that's how we got it okay um good job the ABC PR person be coming to me and thinking, yeah good job crab um also um something that I just got stuck straight into because it went up on SBS with all the episodes at once in that adorable way is the third season of the family law oh yes geez that's good television it's so funny and captivating and I mean um and speaking of like you know you're saying before about Sandra O oh, um seeing crazy rich Asians and feeling like, yeah. I haven't seen this depicted. I think one of the, I mean, there's lots of reasons that The Family Law has been a groundbreaking show, but it's basically about, you know, the relationships in a family and, and how a family works and that family just happens to be Asian. Exactly. It's not making a point of any kind apart from the fact that that's just, you know, the series that Ben's written mm. based on the books that he's written mm. and um, his family is full of these crazy characters who do happen to be Asian. Um, and this series is um, also... It's really like tangling with teen sexuality in a way that I think is pretty unprecedented in mm. Australian television. And, of course, it does it in this incredibly hilarious, awkward, funny way. It's just um, – it's just – it's fabulous television. It's really, really good. I've got it. That's on my list of stuff and to watch. And you can watch, watch it all right it. now because it's up on – Yeah, um, SBS, SBS on, on demand. demand. Very kindly put it all up. Right. Well, I guess it's probably my turn. Stay tuned for episode. See you next episode. 102. For more, you can head to chat10looks3.com where you'll find information about everything we've discussed in this episode. Click on the link Bedside Table to purchase books we've discussed. If you scroll down the homepage, you can also sign up for our newsletter which has heaps of interesting extra things to read, watch and listen to. And sometimes the website even has merchandise to buy and info about live shows around Australia. You can follow Chat10Looks3 on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening.